Oh, it's good to be back. It's been three weeks, and it's been amazing, and I've enjoyed it, but it's so good to be back where I belong. I'm home. No, I'm, I'm not home. Uh, but it's good to be back. Today, I get to talk about joy in our continuing series. This is what it looks like on the fruit of the Spirit. I get to talk about joy. Now, I've already shared this morning that, man, okay, you want, you want comedy. Here's comedy. Like I said, we divvied up the fruits of the Spirit, and we kind of prayerfully said, I'll take this one, and you can teach on that one, and I think I should do this, and right? We prayerfully did that. So for the next three weeks, I'm teaching on joy, gentleness, and self-control. That's comedy right there. Like I said, we're teaching on the things we need. I was like, okay, Father, you're funny. So, so stay tuned for those. I'm really excited about it. But today we get to talk about joy. And this, I'll be honest, guys, this took a turn when I was uh, studying and praying and reading. And, and I thought, oh, it'll go this way. And, and it, it went the other direction. I said, oh, I've never... I've never um, been taught about joy in this way. I'm not saying it's never been done. I'm not saying I'm being original right now. It was just new to me uh, this uh, this week as I was studying it. And so I got more and more excited. I got more and more excited because joy is is probably, I mean, I would say it's probably the most misunderstood. It's probably one of the more abused fruits in terms of like we use that against people. Have you ever heard Christians should be the happiest people on earth? Ever heard that statement, which is dumb, because we're people, and I'm like, it's also we say happiest. It's like we should be the most joyful. Joy, joy isn't happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a choice. Joy does have expression. It can be fueled with emotion, and it can have emotion in it. But happiness is an emotion. Joy is a choice. And our perspective of it, if we just label it as happy or glad, then we minimize what it is. We minimize the use in our life and how we're supposed to be utilizing joy and how we're supposed to be relating to joy. Because the world, when it comes to happiness and joy, the world has a very distinct, obvious perspective. The world says, when things are going great, when things are going well, be happy. And when things aren't going well, when things suck, be unhappy. It says, let's look at our circumstances to determine how we feel. The Christian perspective says, have joy when things are going well. Hashtag blessed. And then it also says, have joy when trials and tribulations come. Hashtag what? Because it's a choice. And it's a perspective about how we view our life and our circumstances. Because we hear this all the time with Christians, you know, this is is a test. Don't worry. There's no grade. Um, The joy of the Lord is our, where is that from? Huh? The Bible. Somebody said the Bible. You would be technically correct. The joy of the Lord is our strength. See, where's that from? 
crickets. What? Psalms? You think? Okay. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. It says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's actually a very interesting story. You see, they built the walls, and they're coming upon a feast, and they don't quite know what to do, and so they gather all the Israelites in Jerusalem, and the high priest Ezra speaks from the book of the law for five hours, and all the priests wander through the among the people, making sure that everyone understands what Ezra is reading. Either they're translating it from Hebrew to Aramaic, or they're explaining it. That's not clear. But they make sure everyone understands. And the people have one response to the book of the law being written. They begin to weep. They begin to mourn. And Nehemiah stands up and he says, no, 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 no. This is a holy day. Get good food. Eat and drink. Share with those that haven't prepared anything. Do not mourn, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, the book of the law was written out, and they were seeing how they weren't doing it correctly. They were seeing how they've missed the mark, and they, they weren't celebrating the feast correctly, and they weren't doing this correctly, and they weren't... They weren't staying pure, and they begin to weep. And Nehemiah said, no, 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 no. No, don't weep. Celebrate. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And something that he does later, because he knew something. And in Nehemiah 9, he's praying. So why would he tell the people that? Because they just heard, you haven't, you've missed the mark. You're not doing it correctly. But he goes, no, celebrate. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I think he'd said that because he understood God, because the next chapter he's praying and he is laying out everything that they've done wrong in his prayer, talking to God. He's laying it all out. He's saying, we've messed up. We've made mistakes. We've turned away from you. After you did miracles and signs and wonders, and after you delivered them, they refused to listen. They did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them, so they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. That's why he, could, he knew this. And that's why when the people mourned because they missed the mark, he said, don't mourn, rejoice for the joy of the Lord is your strength because our God is a God of forgiveness. He's gracious, compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and he will not forsake us. So I said, okay, so the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's rooted in God being good and God being good to us. But I need to know more about what joy is. Because when you look it up in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it just means glad. It's one of those words I can't stand. They define it by itself. Joy, 
to be joyful. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. So I said, what, is, what does it mean? What does it mean, and, and what is this joy? What is the joy of the Lord that is my strength? And I remembered that the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, says something really powerful that we've all probably heard. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. And I said, okay, so then what is that joy? What's the joy set before him that he would endure the shame of the cross? What did he see that he said, this is worth it? What did he see that said, this will strengthen me to go through the horrible agony that I went through? What is that? Hmm? He saw you and me. So I said, what does that mean? And I went to John. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say this again. John 14 through 17. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Read it. There's your homework assignment for the week. Read it. It is the last conversation Jesus has with his disciples before he dies. It literally ends with him going to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the Last Supper conversation. Okay? And in it, he just stops. He's like, I'm not going to talk in parables anymore. I'm not going to talk in riddles. I'm laying it out. I'm just telling you because I'm about to go. So I'm going to prepare you for that, but I'm also going to tell you what's coming and I'm going to tell you what I want and what's happening. And it's amazing. This is one of the first appearances. I, I mean, I know he came in down as a dove and all that, but one of the first appearances of the Holy Spirit. This is where Jesus says, I'm going to go, but I will send you the Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's, it's amazing. Read it. It starts with him talking to his disciples, real conversation, no more parables. It was probably how he talked to them privately, where we don't see a lot of that. We see him telling parables, and then we see him maybe explaining to the disciples the parables. But, I mean, I got to believe this is how he talked to them in private. But, and we get to see it recorded. And it also, it ends on chapter 17. It ends on the longest, most likely, the longest recorded prayer, word for word, of Jesus. Maybe not the longest prayer, because we don't know how long he prayed at the Mount of Transfiguration. We don't know how long he prayed at Gethsemane, right? Maybe not the longest prayer, but the longest written out, word for word prayer. And it's, we label it the high priestly prayer. But those three chapters are amazing and they're packed full of stuff that you go oh is that where that was the concept that jesus is the perfect representation of the father you find that there if you have seen me you have seen the father that's what he tells his disciples because he's telling them here's who the father is and they're like show us tell us show us who the father is we'd like to meet the father before you leave and he goes you've seen him because you've seen me abide in the vine that's john 15 Amazing. So I went there. John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. I speak these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. So again, there's something about his joy, something about his joy that we're supposed to have, and his joy fulfills our joy. Okay, so I got that, Lord. I don't quite know what this joy is yet. What do you mean then by this joy? Well, it's very interesting. Verse 9, he says, just as the fathers loved me, I love, have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. So he tells us. And he said this earlier, too. If you jump backwards in time to John 14, he says, Jesus said, an answer to him, he's actually, he's actually responding to Judas. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode in him. So if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, he'll do what I say, and my Father will love him. And we, meaning the Father and Jesus, we will come and make our abode in him. And then in the next chapter, he repeats that sentiment and says, just as my Father loved me, I also loved you. Remain in my love. How do I remain in your love? You do what I say just as I remain in my Father's love by doing what he says. These things I speak to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Later, the next two chapters later in, in 17, when he's praying to God, this is a direct quote from Jesus to God the Father. But now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full of themselves. What is his joy? His joy is that you would love him, obey him, so the Father would come with Jesus and make his abode in you, dwell in you. The word literally means intermingle in you. The joy of the Lord is intimacy with Jesus in the Father. That's the joy of the Lord. Why did he endure the cross? Because he saw us with him, dwelling with him in the Father. Jesus' joy was seeing our intimacy with him. Our joy it being fulfilled is having the intimacy with Jesus in our lives. That's the joy of the Lord. Intimacy with Jesus. Closeness with Jesus. And we need it. We need that. Why do we need that? I think it's interesting when Pentecost happened, by the way, happy Pentecost Sunday, y'all. When Pentecost came, said the Holy Spirit came to the 120 in the room. They saw what looked like tongues of fire. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in different tongues. And it spilled out of the upper room, 
And they begin to speak, declaring all the works of Jesus, declaring what he had done. And people said, this is amazing. They're speaking in my language, but they're not of my people. They, they shouldn't do that. What's going on? And Peter came up and said, we aren't drunk as you might think we are. And he quotes a whole bunch of amazing things. The Spirit is upon me. In the last days, Spirit poured out on sons and daughters. Men would see visions, dreams, all that jazz. It's all wonderful and it's amazing. And then he goes into the testimony of Jesus. And he says, here is who Jesus was. You think he's dead, but he was risen from the dead. He's proven who he was. And on that day, 3,000 people got added to their number. And we call it the birth of the church. And it was amazing. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that when you read Acts, you'll see this phrase, They were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So at the very beginning of the church, joy and the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, the beginning of the church, if you read Acts, wasn't smooth. It was actually rocky. It was full of trials tribulations. There were fractions within the body. It's amazing when you read it, understanding that there were fractions within the body. You had Jews who said this is just for the Jews, and you had Paul and Peter going, no, this is for the Gentiles too. There was that. That was the first fight in the church. Is it just for the Jews, or is it for everybody? And you'll read, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, because we need the joy. Because why? Do, why do we need the joy? Because one promise that God gives us that we never celebrate, troubles will come. They'll hate you because you love me. It's inevitable. We don't celebrate. We, like, we celebrate all the good ones. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm a leader, not the... Which always cracks me. Everyone's a leader who's following, but whatever. Um... You know, I'm not the last, I'm the first, which is also a weird one because first will be last. But whatever. We have all these Christian declarations, but we never declare, and promise is coming. Promise is coming. And trouble is coming. He's promised it. We never declare that one. But that's one of the ones he said over and over. Troubles will come. They'll hate you. Trials come. They'll. It's inevitable. Because God isn't here to make us happy. He's not here to make it perfect. He's not here to make it smooth. He does at times. He does make everything work for my good, which is awesome. But he said, don't worry, I've given you joy. And honestly, every time you interact with the Holy Spirit, joy should be a result and reaction of that. Because the Holy Spirit has one real job. Does anyone know what the job of the Holy Spirit is? Huh? What? God, you guys are scared. Come on, there's no wrong answer here. Help? Helper? That's a, that's a title. Show us the way. The truth. He's called the spirit of truth. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. In, in John 15, he says, I'm sending you the spirit of truth. Comforter? Yeah. Huh? Teacher? 
Yeah. Advocate. Those are all correct. But there's one main job. Jesus says it two ways right after. He says, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth will come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then it will come to speak only what I tell him. Holy Spirit's main job, main purpose, and he fulfills it in all of the things you said, was to reveal Jesus. He reveals Jesus. He testifies of Jesus to us, into the world, because he convicts the world of sin, you need Jesus, of righteousness, Jesus is your righteousness, and judgment. If you have Jesus, you're innocent. If you don't, you're guilty. And he only shares with us what Jesus tells him. Jesus, Jesus literally says, Holy Spirit will come and everything. He will not share anything of himself. He will only share what I give him and what the Father gives him because what the Father gives him is mine. The Father gives it to me and I give it to the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys have ever received a prophetic word? That was Jesus talking to you. The Bible says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So it's natural that when the Holy Spirit does that, joy comes with it because joy is the communion with Jesus and the Father. Used through the Holy Spirit. That's the conduit. That's why he said, I go so that one who can come. Because he is everywhere and he can be in you where Jesus was limited and could only be one place at a time. So joy has to come. Because anytime you get closer to Jesus, you're getting closer to joy. Now, I said before, the world's perspective is when things are great, be happy. When things are bad, be sad. And the Christian perspective is be joyful when things go right and be joyful when things are hard. James says it this way, I consider it pure joy. <laughs> consider it all joy. My brethren, that's you, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Paul basically says the same thing. Like, I'm going to say that just so it kids can get the, the pessimist sees the glass as half empty. The optimist sees, it, optimist sees it as half full. The Christian sees it as overflowing. Paul says the same sentiment almost exactly in Romans. He says, not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Other translations say rejoice. In our tribulations. So we're supposed to have joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's actually what allows me to go through the hard stuff. If I don't have joy, if I don't have connection, if I don't have intimacy with Jesus, when the hard stuff comes, I run. I stick my head in the sand. I hide. 
but I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed, it doesn't say be fearful because tribulations come. It doesn't say flee tribulations. It says rejoice when tribulations come. Rejoice. Because it'll breed perseverance, patience. We need a fruit of the Spirit called joy to work out and work through the trials in our lives so that we produce the other fruit of the Spirit called endurance or patience. It all works together. Paul connects it even more firmly to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, he has what we term his, he talks about what we term his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. We have all sorts of theories. We don't know what it was. But what we do know is he was praying and praying and beseeching God, please take this from me, take this burden, take this from me, take this from me. And he gets rebuked. He gets rebuked. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Lord, this is hard. This is tough. I don't like this. Take it away. We've all done that. We've all done that. And I'm not saying that's a bad prayer. Lord, take it away, please. But as long as we pray that prayer and we're open to hearing God say, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is perfected in your weakness, here's how Paul responded. Most gladly, therefore. Sometimes they say, with joy. I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight or I take joy in weakness, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties on behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When hard times come. And I respond in joy. I respond by getting closer to God. I respond by pressing into Jesus, into that intimacy. He is perfected in me. And though I feel weak, though I feel unable, I am strong because Christ is in me. So I rejoice when those things come. So that's what joy is. And that's why we need it. Joy is intimacy with Jesus and the Father and communion with the Holy Spirit. And we need it because we're promised hard times. And we're told to respond with joy. I shared this before. This is a really wonderful theory. This is not theory. This is a really wonderful principle of the kingdom. I don't know it's a, if it's a firm foundation unless I stand on it. I don't know that I can trust it unless I put my body weight on it. In climbing, an anchor isn't an anchor until it's been tested with body weight. Then it's an anchor. Until then, it's maybe an anchor. Maybe it'll hold me. You have to test it. And once it holds me, I can go, this is my anchor. 
So God will come to us, and he will tell us things, and he will give us truths, and he will give us promises, and then a test will come along. Because he goes, you won't believe that promise. You won't rest on that promise until you do. So I'm going to give you a test that will cause you to respond by resting on that promise. And when it holds, you go, this is real. And your faith increases. That's why you sit there and go, oh, a hardship came. I'm going to react with joy because the Lord is testing me. And the Lord's tests are for your strengthening. They're never for your failing. They're for your strengthening. And so, and here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. Because we're human. And he doesn't force us. We have choice. We can flunk it. We can flunk the test. He still loves us, and he has a promise for us when we flunk a test. <laughs> It'll come back around. There's always retests. You can retake it. But here's the promise. I will turn it for good for those who love me. I was talking to Alyssa about this. I said, this is the stuff, the trials that God sends. I know that sounds crazy, but the tests that God sends are all good. But we're also lumpheads. And we just go, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to step out in the street. And we get hit by a car. That wasn't God sending a car. That was us being lumpheads. Right? But the promise God has, even when you're a not smart person, and you have natural consequences for your bad choices, I'm going to turn that for good in your life. I'm going to make it work for you. Because you love me, and you're called to my purpose. Trials are opportunities. They always are. They always are. It's always growth. Even when it's our own dumb choice. Because God will sit there and go, your dumb choice Here's a dumb consequence for your dumb choice. Sorry if you're getting insulted. But I'm going to turn it for good. You still might have to deal with the consequence. Sometimes he's merciful and he takes the consequence away. Sometimes he goes, no, you're going to deal with the consequence. But it's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for trust. And don't worry, I'm going to turn it for good. That's why as Christians, we should look back at our life and we shouldn't see disappointments and failures. We should see the goodness of God. We should see the redemption of God. We should see God loving us and keeping us. And that grows joy. And that grows intimacy. Okay, so that's what it is. That's why we need it. How do I get it? How do I get this joy, Miko? There's three ways. First of all, understand joy is an essential part of the kingdom. You cannot be a Christian and not have joy in your life. I mean, you can, but why? Why? Why make it hard on yourself? Paul says that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. So we have that clever saying of the joy is a third of the kingdom. It's really important. Now, what he was saying there, more specifically, is in Rome there is a division and he was fighting for unity in Rome. And one of the divisions were the Gentiles eat whatever they want, but we're Jews. And he goes, don't worry about it. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Don't get trapped in that religion. But it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the 
Holy Spirit. He also says later in chapter, one chapter later in Rome, he says, in Romans, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do I get this joy? Trust God, love God, ask for it. Because the get it, you get it through the Holy Spirit. That's why it's not just an emotion. It's a choice of turning and saying, Holy Spirit, may I receive Jesus' joy in my life. Holy Spirit, may you fill me with joy today. Holy Spirit, I'm going through a really hard time. May I receive the joy of the Lord. It's a perspective that says, I'm not going to look at this hardship as a punishment, or I'm going to look at it as an opportunity. I'm going to say, Lord, what are you showing me? Lord, where should I be trusting you? And I'm going to ask for your joy, which is gratitude and trust and love, and I'm going to respond in that, and I'm going to keep that in front of my face. I'm going to look at you instead of at my circumstances to determine how I should feel. So the first one is it's rooted in intimacy, so you ask the Holy Spirit. That's his job. His job is to reveal. You know, this is the truth right now for me. When I am getting full of my own anxieties and worries and struggles and frustrations, I just have to think about Jesus rescuing me. I just think about him rescuing me. That I was in a pit that I dug myself and I couldn't get out. And then he suddenly appeared and said, let me, let me pick you up out of that. And I can't help but be joyful. And my circumstances suddenly seem really trivial. And my frustrations suddenly seem really trivial. Because he came and he rescued me. Because he loved me. That's a revelation from Holy Spirit for me. Because he's saying, this is who Jesus is to you. This is what he's done for you. This is how he moves in your life. He rescues you. So don't worry about this. Let it go. He told me the other day, we say, let, you know, let it go. I tell this to Alyssa a lot, too. Alyssa, you just got to let that go. Because she can hold on to things. It's not like I don't either, but she can hold on to things. Alyssa, you've really got to let that go. And I remember I was working through something with God this week. Like I said, I needed joy this week. I was working through something with God, and he said, you got to let that go. And I was like, okay. And he's like, no, not, no. I'm not asking you to drop it on the ground. I said, what? And I saw a hand come out. He said, just release that in my hand. And I said, oh. So now when I'm like, i got to let this go, it's not, oh, I just throw it away and pretend it doesn't happen. I just toss it to the wind. and let it. No, I release it into his hand. That's Holy Spirit revelation. Increasing my intimacy, bringing me joy. That I don't have to deal with this. I can give it to you. The other thing. You ask Holy Spirit, but you do something else. You... You read your scripture. We're talking about intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with the Father, and that means knowing someone, being close to someone, 
the Bible is there not just as a list of do's and don'ts, not just tell you how to think or what to do. It's there to describe and reveal the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to you. So you use that. You read it because it reveals who God is. It reveals how God thinks. It reveals how God moves. It reveals his nature. So you need to be reading the scripture. If you want joy, read the scripture. I can't, I tell you, there's your homework. Read John 14 through 17. And then tell me you aren't happier. Tell me you don't have joy. Read that. And if you don't, call me and I will pray for you because we'll work that out. Because you can't read those three chapters and not go, you're so amazing. You did that for me. You, that was why you did that. And finally, you want joy? You got to be rooted in community. You got to be rooted in community, guys. I've said this before. The paradox of our faith is this. It is an individual faith. It is my relationship with God. Nobody can have my relationship with God. Yet, it is only fully fulfilled. It is only fully experienced in community. It is individual, but yet has to be experienced completely in community. Because God says, I'm going to reveal Jesus to you. And you go, great, show me. And then your friend walks through the door. Get out. He's going to show me Jesus. He uses us to be Jesus for other people. The other way you see joy used, especially in the New Testament, is you fulfill my joy when you do this. You fill me with joy when this happens. John, in, in um, I believe it's Third John, he goes, John says that the Apostle John, the Apostle of Jesus' favorite, according to him, he says, my joy is fulfilled when my children walk in the truth. Paul says about authorities, obey your authorities so that they may lead you with joy. Guys, that's a commandment, not frustration. So we talk about the fruit of the Spirit isn't for you, it's for people. We produce fruit so people can come and take it from us. That they can, it's not for the tree, it's for the people. How does joy work that way then? Joy works because I fulfill my joy, I fulfill your joy, that I allow God to use me so that I come to you and I help you get closer to Jesus, that I don't make it hard, that I make it easy, that I support, that I love. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says, we mourn with those that mourn. And we rejoice with those that rejoice. One of, the, one of my favorite, Alyssa talked about it with Job. I loved that this was, a, this was a, a thing in the Jewish culture that if you were grieving, your friends come to you and they grieve with you. We don't do that in America. We go, you're grieving. Let me come to you and cheer you up. Let me tell you that it's time to get over it. Let's move forward. Let's, come on. How many of you guys ever experienced that? You're like, get out. 
Like, there is unrighteous sadness, right? There, I mean, but there's times when it's completely appropriate. And we have to learn to move and flow with the Spirit and be with people where they are and respond where they are and share in their pain and share in their joy. And when we do that, we actually make our joy complete. I'm reminded of the parable of the sower. And the seeds that are thrown on the rocky soil, the Bible says they receive the word with joy and they spring up. And then the sun comes and they dry up wither and are blown away. It's because their roots didn't go deep. When the tribulations came, they couldn't handle it. So those three things are how we get our roots deep. So we aren't the seed that falls on the rocky soil. We're the seed that falls on the good soil. We have to be rooted in our intimacy, which is through the Holy Spirit. So it's as simple as asking Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and fill me with joy. It's rooted in the scripture, which is just reading it, not to get a list of twos and don'ts, but to hear the nature of God towards you, to learn about him. And it's rooted in community, where we fulfill each other's joy by flowing in the Holy Spirit. Paul has a very controversial statement that he makes, where he talks about he fulfills in himself for you what was lacking in the suffering of Christ. That's argued, and it's controversial, but what does that mean? Are you saying Christ's sacrifice wasn't sufficient? I believe he's talking about the importance of community. We fulfill Christ's suffering, right? We fulfill what's lacking. That's a bad word for it, but it's in Christ's suffering when we go to someone and we represent Christ to them where they are. I think that's what he meant. This community piece is really important. We forget it a lot. We like to go, oh, I just need Jesus. Jesus needed 12. Jesus needed 12. I think you need more. Amen? Amen. Ministry team, if you'd like to come up. So if you were listening to this and you just said, hmm, I need joy. That's simple. I need joy. I need intimacy with Jesus. I need intimacy with my Father. I invite you guys to come up and receive prayer. If you listen to this and said, I don't know what's going on, but I need to connect more in scripture. I don't know what's going on, but I need to connect more in community. That the Lord's highlighting those areas as a place where I'm going to find my joy. I invite you guys to come up for prayer right now. Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you so much that you are so good. You are so wonderful. You are so awesome. 
I thank you that you never ask us to do anything that you don't empower us to do. And I just pray right now that you increase our desire for joy. You increase our desire for intimacy with you. You increase our desire to be the joy that you would have us be for others. I pray that as we go home, as we meditate on this word, I pray that you would begin to show us those areas and those places that you're asking us to be the joy of the Lord for other people. And I just thank you for every opportunity. I thank you for every good and perfect thing because we knew, we know it comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.